You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Well, not only penguins, but like the iconic. Yes. It's the largest and deepest diving. What can they teach us? 50 million years. To I mean, they are like, they, they can do the cold and they can do the cold, deep, dark dives. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, this is a big one. This is so a big, big one. This is going to be so a big, big one. Chris. This is a big one. <laughs> we have been talking about this for a very long time, probably since we started yes. even. Mm-hmm. I, yep. Yep. One of my, my son, my oldest son, he did request this a year ago. So Hi, it's Rourke. been a while. Since <laughs> that and we have to do, he's requesting gecko right now, which we have to do. And we have to do squirrel soon. And we have to open with Xander. Well, yes, Xander's definitely on the squirrel tip, so that yes. squirrel should be coming soon. He would love that. And Gecko would be fun. I yeah. would really enjoy Gecko. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll I enjoy them all, though. Go, folks. <laughs> I enjoy I know, each I know. and every one. This one I was actually bummed when we when it was like time for us to start recording because I had to stop reading about the penguin. Emperor yes. penguin or penguins in general. We'll be talking a lot about their physiology today. And Chris is trying to call me and I'm not receiving his calls because I'm going down a rabbit hole about penguin feathers and just learning and learning. I literally and learning. thought the kids, I'm sitting here thinking the kids just came screaming out of the bedroom or something like, you know, it's bedtime and they're not going to bed. That's what I thought. Well, uh, that, that was last night when I was trying to watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. They, uh, they yeah. did not go to bed for, the life of me. In fact, they won Game of Thrones because they ended up in our bed, both of them. <laughs> and I slept on the lower bottom bunk of Zachary's bed. So they yes, were the winners. Yes. I was very happily reading and learning all about penguins up until I, I mean, I still actually want to learn more. So I hope you came. I hope you, I hope you, I hope you brought game this week, Chris. Oh yeah. This is, this is, this is a big one. I, I was actually looking at videos because we're, we're now getting more interactive on our YouTube channel. So please, you know, you follow us on Instagram. We're very active on there. We now are, are dropping five, seven minute info videos on the conservation of species, you know, so penguins. So I was prepping for Thank that. Thank you, Chris. I'm record that this week. Yes. Just a slight <laughs> correction. Chris is very active on there. <laughs> Angie still likes to hide behind her computer and yeah, not I'm, be I'm on the gonna videos. I'm going to push her out. I'm going to push her out soon. <sighs> and Angie, this is a huge week for us because we have a major announcement for the podcast. You and Drum I. roll. Yes. So we now are really pushing Patreon. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you know, you and I, we, we you know, you, you hear about Patreon, you listen to podcasts, and really this this started as a passion project for Angie and I. And now it's really taking over our lives where we feel both her – and I and, and all of our friends that this is what we need to be doing with our lives. This is what we need to do in our careers. We need to fight now. Now's the time. And I really feel it. I think after Angie and I, the past year and a half covering all these animals, getting a global view on what's going out there, we're not going away. 
So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And now we're getting serious about Patreon. So it's really exciting for us to be announcing this, that Angie and I are committed with our Patreon now. For all our Patreon supporters, each month Angie and I are doing a special episode just for you of a species that we pick. And then we're also going back to conservation news, and we're going to do it once a month. So we're going to kind of do a a global view of conservation news for that month, and that's for our Patreon supporters. Now, Angie had the beautiful idea, and this is from the beginning. Any money we raise, Angie, how much did you want? 25%. Yes. 25% of any money we raise will go to a conservation organization of the month. So what we're going to do on Patreon is for all of our Patreon supporters, we will post up the organizations we cover should be about four or five, depending on the month. And you vote on who we should give 25% of any money we raise. And each month we'll cut them a check and send that to them. And so it's a really cool way too to get involved in species conservation from your couch or your car, or we always, Chris always gives us really good hints of things we can do for um, for the environment or for the species itself and what's easy, what, what can the average person do that's busy with lives and full-time mm-hmm. jobs who maybe can't travel to Antarctica to, to observe an animal or to take data or something like that. So this way, all you have to do is listen, join Patreon and a large portion of the proceed will go to the conservation organization that you vote on. And I think that that's the really cool part about Patreon with us is going to be that you will dictate the content. So Chris and I will pick species each month that we have interest in, but we'll also open up some polls and some ideas from our Patreon listeners of what they want us to cover specifically. So it, it's kind of like you get to drive your own ship and decide mm-hmm. what species, what extra species do you want? Cause of course we want to make it clear that we will always have Four species a month and plus interviews free as always. That's not changing. That is, we're educators first and foremost. So if you can't afford or don't have interest in the Patreon, nothing really changes for you. You still get all of our content. So, which is what we always, that was always in our mission statement from the very, very beginning. Um, this Patreon just helps us make the podcast better and it helps us and helps the listener who enjoys the content, receive more of it, and give to conservation. That's cool. Chris did a ton of research looking at how Patreon should be set up and all of this, and he just gave me the cliff notes. And I think we're kind of the only ones that are like giving back in amounts like this, especially to animal conservation, um, except for some of the big wigs, of course, like Disney and you know, things like yeah, that. But yeah, but they don't have a maybe someday. Disney maybe does, someday they'll just hire us. Disney does not have a Patreon <laughs> account. I tell you, oh, there you <laughs> go. Disney makes <laughs> billions upon billions through those turnstiles uh, each but year. But they give a ton. They give a ton to conservation, they so they don't they need do. Patreon. They just they just give a ton of uh, money yeah. in general. So yes, it's very very exciting, and uh, I'm ex- I I can't. I've been taking notes mm-hmm. the past couple weeks all about conservation news. So I'm dying to get back. I know. That too. And they'll I probably know. knowing, knowing Chris and I, they'll probably be a little bit longer too. So we can cover more topics than we used to. when we just did the 30 minute condensed one. Right, right, right. And we just, 
you know, we want to grow this. That's our goal. Our goal is to, to, to grow the podcast. We're, you know, we're growing huge and we're inching towards being one of the top 100 science podcasts, which is insane out of the 700,000 podcasts. I looked it up over 700,000 podcasts now and we're in the almost the top 100 science, not just natural science, science podcasts, which is crazy. It is unbelievable. So thank you for listening. We're going to run to our next species. We will put all the links up on our show notes, our website, our Instagram, all of our things. If you're interested in Patreon, please go check it out. And our first episode is ready to go. It's on the cheetah. So if you want to listen and learn about cheetahs, go there and and uh, sign up. So, but let's talk penguins, Angie. Well, not only penguins, but like the iconic. Yes. It's the largest and deepest diving. Obviously, one of the more iconic penguins because it lives in the Antarctic where everybody thinks penguins live. They all, most of them don't. We'll, we'll talk about that on the podcast today. And we're going to have a huge conservation message like we always do because scientists predict that the populations of emperor penguins will decrease 50 to 70% by the next century. Yeah. Or more. It, it is. It is. It is. It is sad. And it was like, you know, I was a little intimidated doing this episode because of all the, the Disney nature penguins just came out. I went and saw it the other day. Beautiful. Oh yeah. This was the goofiest. I mean, I, I, I want to support it because I want to support the movie, but yeah, we can't hang with those yeah, guys. <laughs> it's, but, but it, what was intimidating about it was I was like, okay, everybody thinks they know something about penguins. They don't need to listen. And I'm telling you, you don't know about penguins. Unless you're a penguin expert, then Angie and I don't know anything. But if you're not, that is true. You don't know a lot about penguins, and we're going to fill those gaps in for you. Or what you do know, we're going to yes. fill those gaps in. And me using my kind of work smart, not hard motto, which is not entirely true. Mm-hmm. I, of course, work very hard as well. But working smart, I reached out to one of my Dear best zookeeping friends, Andy, who worked with penguins, and he filled me in on a couple interesting facts. And you'll want to stick around as well because he helped me answer the question, are penguins just like awkward, waddling, sliding on their belly goofballs, or are they intelligent? Mm, okay. Okay. So he had a lot of insider scoop about that, and I think uh, you will be interested yeah. to learn. Yeah. Like you said, it's there's full of their physiology is just gnarly. It is. It's it is. Incredible. It is. So not only do they live in Antarctica, cold, snow, all of that, and we're really gonna dive deep, especially into boy, how they breed and the eggs and the chicks, but they're also a flightless bird that swims and that's how they hunt and forage. And Chris has some really cool nutrition stuff and yeah. So they have two really bizarre physiological niches mm-hmm, going on. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we'll try to make it short and sweet, but we'll let's try. be real. We probably won't be able <laughs> <Not> to. Penguins. <laughs> There's so much to talk about them. So Angie, I'm going to start off this week a little bit different because I'm going to get on my soapbox just a tad. You told me to be careful. I'm not getting political, but... I do want to talk a little. Well, I just said don't scare no, anybody away no, that wants no, no, to just no. Learn. look at cute or think about cute baby penguin chicks. Well, this is why if, if they do care about penguin chicks, they need to listen and they, and they need to understand. And I, and I know a lot of our supporters do understand, but it's basically talking about climate change. And the reason I bring this up is because a few weeks ago, Angie, did you see the, 
the walruses jumping off the cliff video. It's horrific. And I think in our conservation news, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it. And I, a couple things came up on my news wire talking about how that wasn't due to climate change. And it was from some hack scientist up in Canada that isn't a climate, climate change researcher, but because we're PhD scientists, you and I could just write stuff and, you know, all of a sudden we get covered in the news because we're a scientist, quote unquote. So you have to be really skeptical when you hear some of this stuff. But climate change is having a dramatic, dramatic effect on penguins. You know, we talked about it with the walrus and the polar bear and the narwhals with the Arctic, but we haven't really focused on the Antarctic quite yet because Antarctica, massive ice sheets are disappearing and there is no scientific debate on climate change. There is a political debate here in the United States. You know, our listeners in Australia understand that's kind of a debate down there. Other Western type countries or even, you know, countries throughout Asia, there is still some quote unquote debate, but it's a political debate. There is no scientific debate. For example, surveys of scientists, 87% American Association for the Advancement of Science members agree that climate change is human driven. Okay. Then you go to, to scientists that study the earth, PhD earth scientists, 93% of them agree humans are caught are causing climate change. When you actually go to climate change researchers, the people that are actually studying this thing and understand it in and out, 97% agree this is human caused. That is consensus, folks. That is overwhelmingly dramatic, huge consensus. Those 3%, in my opinion, they're bought off. That's just, that's me. Come after me, please. If if you're in that 3%, come after me, please. (laughs) I'm a scientist too. Let's have a debate because it is such a serious issue. And just last week, Angie sent me an article before, you know, we knew we were doing penguins and we'll talk a little bit about it, but thousands of chicks drowned because the ice sheet just collapsed under them. So I think what Angie, the bottom line is some of this is just the political debate, what action to take. You know, it's like NASA, one of, one of here in the United States, one of our most beloved institutions, you know, sending probes throughout the, the solar system and Mars and the moon and all those things. And that's the, you know, everybody goes, you're a rocket scientist. That means you're the smartest person on earth. Now we're not a rocket scientist. We're animal scientists, <laughs> physiologists, <laughs> behaviorists. We, we, you know, we don't work for NASA, but NASA scientists are screaming about this and politicians are trying to discredit them. Politicians with no scientific training. It's maddening. It's maddening. Some of the stuff that off the NASA website, NASA global temperatures in the past 140 years have gone up almost two degrees Fahrenheit. Sea levels are rising 3.3 millimeters per year. We are losing 413 gigatons of ice per year. The Arctic ice is decreasing by 12.8% per year. That's coming from NASA. And they actually have a couple cool climate mobile apps that I'll link to that shows you what's going on mm. with their satellite data and everything. They are screaming about this. Here's, here's my, my final point on climate change and why it's so serious. The United States Department of Defense, you know, these are people that get paid to project into the future, say climate change is an immediate risk to national security. They agree that the, the climate's changing. And as humans, there's going to be a lot of problems with us, not only rising sea levels, 
You're going to get natural disasters. You know, we've seen that with, with hurricanes here in the United States and cyclones in, in the Southern hemisphere, food, water, water shortages in the developing world. All of these things are leading to threats that the Department of Defense are predicting in the next 50 years. So when your own military says it's a problem, why are our politicians debating it? There shouldn't be. I don't, all, I, Chris, these politicians, oh my word. I, one thing I want to do a large call out to all the scientists out there, maybe not all of them, but most of them, or anybody that knows scientists, like run for office. Yes. We need more scientists in political office, be it anywhere from city officials to mayors or higher up through the rankings, because I think that will really help. And as scientists, a lot of times we love to just study our science mm-hmm. and of course educate. So being a politician is probably about as far away from what we would want to do or perhaps are naturally good at mm-hmm. in general. And so I think what's, I don't know why a lot of scientists shy away from it, but it just doesn't seem to be like there are a lot of scientists as po- that duly act as politicians. So we need more of you. 99% of the time, like Chris said, once in a while there's a, a, a bad or boughten off rotten egg. But in general, evidence-based science is the way to go when we're looking at climate change facts, animal conservation yes. facts, things like that. Yep. Yeah, and, we, and everything we do is science-based, you know, and we base our opinions on the evidence. Now, the reason I brought it up, Angie, is because it does matter to the penguins majorly, sure. especially emperor penguins. So just in the news in the last couple of weeks, the second largest colony, the Haley Bay colony, made up about almost 10% of the global emperor penguin population. And the British Antarctic Survey just reported that the ice sheet collapsed under the breeding colony. And there's about 24,000 breeding pairs, up to 24,000 breeding pairs. All the chicks drowned. They just lost all their chicks for the year. And it's not just this year. This has happened year after year after year since 2016. That all of a sudden, due to the warming ocean and rough weather, different weather patterns down there, that for centuries, you know, thousands of years, these birds have gone to the same place to breed. And when we get to repro, you'll kind of talk about their strategy. But now Mm -hmm. in the last four years now, they've lost all their chicks. And it's horrific. And that's because of climate change, period. End of story. Well, and the researchers that have been studying this, it's like the second largest emperor penguin colony breeding area, call it basically an almost total breeding failure. Um, scientists call it unprecedented. There's never been a record like this at a breeding site of basically complete reproductive failure. And so... The scientists are looking into it. A lot of this is from satellite imaging. Um, but yeah, they're just not seeing any, any, any chicks out there. And they're obviously the, the lack of ice is a huge hypothesis is what the problem is. Um, they, they think some might be relocating to one 30 miles south, but, but not the numbers that have historically been seen at this Haley Bay. Yeah. What's coming? It's what's coming. It's what's coming. And it's just, you know, we talked about this in the North Pole and now we see it in the South Pole. And part of it is because the poles are warming quicker 
than say the equatorial region. And that's just how everything's working right now. Uh, is what climate scientists are saying. Now I want to tell you there's hope. There's always hope. Do not lose hope. That is why we do what we do at the end. We're going to talk about how you can help, you know, don't lose hope. It's just time. It's now is time to draw the line in the sand. It now is the time to act. Not tomorrow, not in 10 years or 20 years, because it'll be too late for a lot of species today. Today is the day we take action. Tell yourself today is the day I'm going to help. Join us. <laughs> yes. And go see that. Mo- yeah. Well, and go see that movie yes. penguins to be inspired. Oh, it's Did you beautiful. see the movie? It's gorgeous. Julie and I went, we, we just, yeah. Give us the cliff notes. It's Give the, the Adelie penguins, but they're just hilarious. It means it's more geared towards children, but the cinematography is breathtaking. And I did learn a lot about penguins. It motivated me for this episode. You know, I love Disney nature films. I watch them every year. I love what they do. I love how they support conservation and they do give back. Uh, they do. And we're going to talk about at the, um, at towards the end of the pod- podcast with my conservation organization of the week for sure. Uh, very exciting to talk about this group and talk about Disney nature and the film uh, about penguins. And so you think my, my boys would like it. I could take yes, them both and they take, would yeah, get a kick out I, of it. I heard a ton of kids laughing. Julie was even cracking up. So. <laughs> Okay. Cool. I was cracking up next to her. I wasn't sleeping, I promise. The emperor penguin, the largest penguin species. I mean, white underside, black topside, black flippers. You know, they're gorgeous. The yellow, the yellow trim around the neck and the ears. It fades down. It's so amazing. Oh, it's like a painting. I mean, uh, you couldn't. I could, I definitely couldn't paint that with colors, No, <laughs> but I don't no. know really who could. It's just so beautiful. Now I will say this. This is what's ugly about penguins is their dang feet. <laughs> like I did you not. You silly. <laughs> I, I agree to disagree. Their feet, your, your son will love them because they're dinosaur feet with their three toes. They are dinosaur feet. Yes. <laughs> and they're very important for their yeah. marching. Yes, I know. And for the babies, for the baby they're chicks. Dino so feet. Like, they're dino feet. And for the oh. eggs and for the chicks. Yeah, yeah. But, but they don't really show that much. So if you're not a fan of their oh. feet, but other than that, yes. from, from the feet up, you know, take the, from, from the feet up, they're gorgeous. They're just gorgeous. And right. Well, they have that iconic tuxedo, right? Like mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, that we've mm-hmm. all grown up with seeing. And, yeah. uh, and then Chris, so the adult emperor penguin, largest, just gorgeous. And I highly recommend, uh, we'll put some links on our show notes, but ju- it was recently was World Penguin Day. And so a lot of fun graphics have been put up in my, and a lot of my different feeds that I'm on. And there are 18 species of penguins and they're all different. They all have a little different markings and some flare, some yellow flare feathers on their heads. And so, the emperor is probably one of the more, obviously the more iconic ones, but check out some of the other ones. They are super oh, cute. Gorgeous, and gorgeous. Rock hoppers. A lot of fun with their markings. And if you're not familiar with emperor penguin chicks, there's no way that oh. I can do it justice. Yes. No, no, you have to see it. You have to see it. But it is the cutest little fluff ball that you have ever seen. They're typically covered with this silver gray down, but of course they have the black heads mm-hmm. and the white masks. And I mean, bestill my heart, Chris. There, I'm looking at a picture right now. 
Until they hit the teenage years and they start losing those down feathers, <laughs> then they look pretty gnarly. <laughs> well, I think most of us, looking back at our teen photos, yeah. <laughs> were probably had a lot to be desired, right? Yeah, like, that, that nobody, uh, very, very few, unless you were like a teen model or something, yeah. part of 90210 or something like that. Uh, you, I think we're all kind of like, ooh, geez. Should, do I dare ask you, should we put up photos of our teen years up on our <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. Well, Chris, do you want to grow our podcast or do you <laughs> want to stop our podcast? Right. Yeah. Which okay. One? Okay. So. These things are huge, Angie. They grow up to 1.1 meters tall or three feet, seven inches. It can weigh up to 35 kilograms or 77 pounds. I mean, that's a big Yeah, bird. that's like Zach. I think Zach's, yeah, about Zach's that size. three feet. Yeah. yeah. They're huge. They're big. They're big. Now, obviously, Antarctica is where they range. That is where their iconic range is. But they have found some emperor penguins from other regions. So South Africa, South Australia, New Zealand, where I was last year, parts of South America. So they've seen them range that far, but typically they're in sub-Antarctic, Antarctic waters, right? I mean, that's usually where they're found. So before we jump into evolution, Angie, I've got a quote I want to read and kind of talk about why I care about emperor penguins. And this is from Peter Fretwall from the British Antarctic Survey. And he, he, he said, the emperor penguin has evolved into a very narrow ecological niche. It's an animal that breeds in the coldest environment in the world. So from a scientific perspective, gosh, could we learn a lot about these things? A ton. How they do it, how they survive, how they keep going back to the same sites, how they care for their chicks. Ah, oh, I admire them. I admire them. I love them. Love them. Well, Chris, you hit the nail on the head right there is they are a really cool indicator species of health of our oceans and our climate. And with that being said, what we mentioned earlier in the podcast about these breeding sites being collapsing and no chicks the past couple of years is an indicator that our climate is changing and that our ocean health may not be as healthy as it should be. And researchers, oceanographers, animal experts, things like that have been paying attention to this. And the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute, which is in Cape Cod, uh, and I'm blessed enough that once a year my husband uh, has family there, so we'll drive past this place, and I, I've been meaning to take Xander and Zach, and now I'm definitely going to do it. I know that they've been involved with tons of marine science and ocean stuff, but I didn't know they did penguin. But they do penguin research, and back in 2009, they were sounding the alarm bells about emperor penguins. And they were talking about them being pushed to ex the brink of extinction in as early as um, by the year 2100 due to climate change. And then they published another study in uh, June 2014, concluding once again that because of this melting sea ice, that by 2100, all 45 colonies of emperor penguins will be declining drastically, mostly due to habitat loss and the supply of krill, which is one of the primary foods for emperor penguins. Mm -hmm. So... It's an indicator of health, and at this point, it's not, oh my gosh. I mean, the numbers of emperor penguins are still pretty good. 
So it's not a code red at this point, but researchers that study these guys year after year after year, for instance, the Woodholes Institute, they're sounding the alarm bells and we need to start listening uh, to them. And I think hopefully with this movie, uh, with the Disney's movie Penguins and just in general people, they're so iconic. That's why people should... love them. <laughs> yeah, I know. So people love iconic. them. Yeah. yeah. And just like the quote you mentioned earlier, I just want to close with that. We should care about them because their physiology is super, super cool. And several scientists are looking into penguin feathers, which we'll talk about more yes, later yes. on, as an inspiration for underwater suits. I saw so that. Actual, <laughs> actual penguin suits that are better at retaining heat and repelling water. Yes. So really neat applications, science stuff coming out of these, these animals' incredible physiology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how they survive. And it's just – I had so much fun – Looking at the evolution of penguins, Angie, it was, it was a, a real treat to read about their history. True confession, Chris. So did mm. I. Yeah. You know, good. sometimes I just let you do the evolution and yeah. I sit back on my behavior mm. side of things, reading all these fun articles, but the evolution is cause it's just so there's such a different lineage. So yes. I'm excited oh. to see what you prepared and the stuff. Yeah, and their I was dino feet. Was, yeah. The yes. dino feet. <laughs> <laughs> so the scientific name of the emperor penguin is Aptenodites. Forsteri. The genus Aptenodites also has the king penguin, so it's a smaller cousin of the emperor. They they look very similar. Okay. Now, penguins pretty diverse. You know, they they estimate between 17 and 20 species. This is where there's some debate in science, you know, which ones are and we talked about that a pot or two ago, talking See, about See, I just how... kind of took the middle. I said 18. 18. Yeah. <laughs> and with genetics, and there's there's some debate, you know, if there's different species, but you know, they're all in the subfamily Sphenicinae. So you have the Adelie penguin, which is in the Disney movie, really cute. Mm-hmm. The rock hopper, one of my favorites. I just love the rock hopper. Oh, that's the penguin. fun with yeah. the little fluff. Yes, they're <laughs> yeah. beautiful. You have the African penguin, the little blue eyed penguin down there in Australia. And there's many, many more of them. Now we, the good thing, the, I think what was exciting about this is, is we do know quite a bit about penguin evolution. And it's a great species to study how they have adapted over time. So this is what makes me dork out, right? Yes, right, right. It's you know how does the species adapt to their environment? They call it evolutionary biogeography. So looking at okay, it's getting colder. You know these ones that have more feathers or can survive this way, that way. They're the ones that survive and pass on their genetics. Now I will say with climate change. Species today don't have the luxury of hundreds and thousands of years to adjust. It's happening so rapidly that they don't have time. That's a great point, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that one. Yeah. Don't crash your car. Right. (laughs) But No, please. Really, like, chew on that one for a second. Species, of course, have either adapted or gone extinct throughout millennia, but they've had hundreds of thousands or millions of years to do it. Right. Not Not like... A couple hundred. hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's like either. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. It's horrible. So uh, the interesting thing about penguins is they evolved from non-flying birds. They think their first ancestor separated about 70 million years ago. 70 million. Yeah. That's that's dinosaur time. That's why I said the feet. They just crazy. Now the very first penguin they lived somewhere in what this landmass was called Gondwana, and that's what became Australia, New Zealand, Antarctica, and parts of South America. 
Now, the closest relatives I thought was really interesting of penguins too. The albatross or petrels, which I know mm-hmm. Jesse Golden is, is screaming at us. We should have done albatrosses a year <laughs> ago because he goes out on the boats to look for them in the, uh, the South Pacific, you know, outside yeah, New Zealand. Yeah, we got to do That's going to be a cool one for yeah. sure. Frigate birds. Do you remember what we talked about frigate birds? Do you remember oh, frigate birds? Do they have a waddle or something? No, That's remember fine. we, yeah, they do, but remember we talked about frigate birds? How fast no. they are? Oh, it's the cheetah episode. Sorry, folks, you got to pay to get that. Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that. And then my new favorite bird, the loons. So here's something really interesting too, Angie, that the fossil evidence has found that penguins developed the South Island of New Zealand, which is really cool, in an area called Wapara. And so that's the oldest fossil fragments that they found. Now, this is like the first penguin that that kind of emerged 60 million years ago. And I should be able to do this name because I was down in New Zealand last year, so I kind of got some of the, the verbiage. Wamanu Manaringi. So, yeah, that's about right. Wamanu yeah, Mangaringi. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did a good so on the was... Wapara one, too. I was going to say, like, Waipari. <laughs> yeah, I picked it up after a few months down there. So this was, you know, the first penguin-type species. But that was 60 million years ago. I mean, long time ago. That's, that's nuts. Right. And then just over time, you know, they, they adapted to the marine environment as things changed. That's where the food was. So then they developed the structures to dive and, and things like that. And again, it's just 55 million years ago, penguins were adapted to live in the water. Now, when the dinosaurs went extinct, that's when penguins started to diversify. So about 40 million years ago is when Penguin A, that's the name of it, gave rise to the emperor penguin and the king penguin. So you're talking 40 million years, 40 million, and they could be wiped out in a hundred. That's, that's terrifying. It's really terrifying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm speechless. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I, I know it's a rare, it's a rare bird on this podcast when Angie is speechless, but yeah, I'm just crazy. really trying yeah. to wrap my really chew on the fat again. A lot of, a lot of, yeah, yeah a lot to, a lot to think about with this episode of what is 40 million years. That's just an mm-hmm. incredible chunk of time, space time as we know it. For all this physiology that's so specific that we're going to touch on here, we will get to it, we promise. <laughs> but so specific and amazing and incredible and researchers want to study it and figure it out. And and here we are. I know, I know. Because we have to ha- drive fancy cars that guzzle gas and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. tear down the forest. No, take down and- trees, and forest mm-hmm. after forest after forest, and not replant mm-hmm. them. Some people replant them. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a so, lot of issues, a lot of issues. Now, here's a fun fact. Let's talk happy though. stuff. Yeah, that, <laughs> okay. fun fact. Here you go. Fun fact. How tall do you think the largest penguin ever, ever got? Ever. Hmm. Well, Emperor, you said comes in at about three feet. Three seven, yeah, three feet seven, one point one meters. Um, so, two meters. Yeah, bing, close, You're close. Do you know what that is in feet? Can you do <laughs> conversion? It's yes, that's six, six feet. feet, Chris. But that's tall. Almost six foot tall. The largest penguin. That's like John walking yes, around one, waddling. Yes, yes. Oh, that's big. One point eight meters. That's a meters fun thing to weighed. picture. 
200 pounds. They found these fossils, you know, off Antarctica in New Zealand. This was the Anthroporinus and was as tall as a human, as the size of a human. <laughs> I love everything one. about that. Like a lot of times about, we talk about the, the biggest, whatever, the biggest yeah. snake and the biggest, you, bird, you always go yeah. big. Yeah. 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 But this might be my favorite biggest because I can yeah. just so picture my husband in a penguin suit. And that's exactly, <laughs> that's he doesn't weigh 200 pounds. He's less than that, but he's almost, he's yeah. about six feet tall. And so, yeah. Wow. I like that. Yeah. Do you like remember the smallest, thought. smallest bird ever or on earth? You remember? Ever or currently? You know, no, currently, currently. Cause remember oh, we talked like, about it. Oh, like, is it the, isn't it the bee hummingbird? Yeah. Good job. You're good memory. Yeah. The bee hummingbird. It's like Thank the size you. of your I'm thumb. drinking my green tea tonight. So yeah, it's okay, like, okay, you're on. The you're neurons on. are just firing yeah. just like crazy. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's get into some physiology. Emperor penguins can live up to 20 years, which is pretty long. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait till we talk about some of their behavior, but can survive up to minus 76 degrees Fahrenheit. Like, Ouch. yeah. So, you know, I know there's some, some behaviors with that, but talking about their feathers. So that's where it kind of, you, you were talking about going down that, that rabbit hole. Did you read the, I was reading the study about busting myths on penguin feathers. And they said that, you know, it's reported, you know, Wikipedia, other places that penguins have a density of a hundred feathers per square inch, which isn't true. They don't. It's about nine feathers per square inch. Yeah. Researchers were like, we're going to do science and check these facts. And so they went and found a whole bunch of emperor carcasses that had been frozen from like early 2000s or something. And they got to counting feathers and found that actually there's approximately only nine feathers per square centimeter, which is a lot lower than originally reported on some of these inaccurate sites. And it was even more interesting. This is why I love research, right? It's not mm -hmm. called search. Mm -hmm. It's called research because mm -hmm. you got to keep doing it when you have better equipment and more knowledge and yada, blada. Uh, and of course you have to make it repeatable, but they found that they had a combination of dense after feathers, which are like down feathers type things. And they knew that, I mean, that, that wasn't shocking. And Chris, fun enough for you, these researchers were at the university of California, Irvine mm -hmm. and they found, of course, that there was these after feathers. Right. The, yeah, I was surprised. Like, you know, looking at feather physiology and the after feathers are these little small downy plumes that are attached to the main feathers. So yeah, and they, assumed, they had a lot of those. Yeah, yeah. They, they had a lot of that and they assumed that those would be there, but was even, but what's more shocking is that they had about four times as many plumules and I apologize to Cassandra Williams, the researcher, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but they're smaller plumes is what I take from that plumules and or plumules. And then they also had a third category that had not been reported in emperor penguins called phyloplumes, which are teeny tiny. And these, these are less than a centimeter long and with a naked shaft that has a display of fine filaments. But these phyloplumes were typically found in flying birds. So it's kind of a really neat find to realize that they are still remnants and then flightless birds, such mm -hmm. as penguins too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was cool. So science. I know. Do it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and we learned. Thank you, Cassandra. And like you said earlier, yes. they're, they're using this 
knowledge to, to build better suits for humans, you know, for wetsuits, things like that. So each species we cover, we're learning so much about. Now, a couple fun facts, a couple more fun facts. You know, emperor penguins, they just waddle along at a blistering one and a half miles per hour. They're just zoom and they're, yeah, right. <laughs> like little babies, right? Or two and a half kilometers per hour. Waddle, waddle, waddle. Yes, they are a little bit awkward walking, if yeah, you will. Or yeah. cute, depending on they're like, cute. how you they're look cute. at it. They're cute. And then they, you know, when they get on their bellies and toboggan. It's funny, both Chris yeah. and I... Are, 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 we're going back and forth as we're talking <laughs> on the podcast. Now swimming, you know, they can, they chug along about six miles per hour, or 10 kilometers per hour, though they can zip up to nine miles per hour or 15 kilometers per hour, you know, like especially escaping predators or something like that. Not super fast. Like we talked about, it was again, I got to go back to the cheetah episode. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I'll give you here. The sailfish can go up to 68 miles per hour in the water. So they're pretty quick. They're pretty quick. Now penguins do leap out of the water or porpoise, you know, and so they get these micro bubbles that help streamline them a little bit. So just really cool stuff. They, you know, now the, some of the sadder stuff, and this is in the Disney movie, even though no, take your kids. It's safe. They're, you know, um, the penguins are do fine, but there are leopard seals in there and leopard seals. They're nasty. I love them. They're gorgeous, but they are nasty, mean little boogers. <laughs> so they hunt penguins, <laughs> sea lions, orcas, and then the skuas, which cracks me up because it brought me back to, if you haven't listened to Theo Van Nort's interview about the Antipodes, and he talked about the eradicating the mice on that sub-Antarctic island off New Zealand. And he talked about the skuas and how terrible and mean they are. They come screaming down because they don't have never seen people and they peck at you and things like that. So there are things that, that can hunt uh, emperor penguins. But again, they things we've talked about in most of our aquatic species, you know, the dark top, the light bottom, the white underneath. So when they're near the surface, predators looking up have trouble seeing them. Or when they're underwater, that black top helps conceal them a little bit. So, so they do try to escape and, and, uh, get by. And Chris, you touched on it a little bit in the beginning of the podcast, but I just really quick how, I mean, I just can't get over. I lived in Chicago for years. I worked outside as a zookeeper and I had my layers. They kept me warm. I was all right, but by goodness golly, it was not super enjoyable all the time. And so to think these emperor penguins live on land in the cold and then in the cold water. So how do they do it? And I think a lot of it goes into their physiology and their ability to thermoregulate. And so they can maintain their core body temperature without altering their overall metabolism through wide ranges of temperatures. And these are for Antarctic penguins such as the emperor penguin, but then also we we don't have time to touch on this podcast. We'll do more penguins as the years go by, but some of them live in hotter climates like Africa and then need to cool off too. So they, they can just basically keep their body happy and comfortable, their core temperature. But for the emperor penguin, they do this basically by a lot of movement. So swimming helps keep them warm, walking or waddling, shivering, those help increase metabolism and then they can break down a lot of fats through enzymatic processes 
um, by inducing a hormone called glucagon, which that's kind of how you yeah, break down fats or uh, sugars from your body. And they do other cool behavioral things on land that we'll talk about when we get to behavior. But from a physiological point of view, it's pretty amazing all this movement and shivering and swimming that helps keep them warm, let alone, of course, as Chris mentioned, the feathers helps uh, insulate them. And they definitely do have a very dense network of feathers, not the most dense like the internet might claim, but it is still, even when she was counting them nine per square centimeters, that's still very, very dense. Yeah. It's interesting that, you know, talking about some of the physiological stuff that, you know, we said they were the deepest diving, so they can go down to like 50 meters or 120 feet and they rise up to catch their prey and then dive back down. They can do that for 20 minutes and then come up and get some air and then go back down to hunt. And they basically just eat fish. Incredible. Yeah. Fish, mm-hmm. crustaceans, some cephalopods. So that's kind of what they do. Now, again, this, the, the, the theme of this one is how climate change is doing that. And I'm going to kind of sum this up quickly. But we do know with the oceans warming, it's changing the habitat for all species in it. So one of the concerns, again, is the warming and freshening of waters around Antarctica that are changing the habitat. So the prey of what penguins eat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing you have physical, and I really didn't think about the chemical properties around the oceans. So your salinity is changing, pH, low oxygen, all affect fish, krill, all of it in it. So that affects the food web, dramatically affects the food web. And I went, you know, this is the rabbit hole I went down and you know, all, uh, which is good because this puts it in my head for future episodes and future species we cover. But I just read a study, climate change and the threat of novel marine predators in Antarctica. And this was published just a year and a half ago. And it just talks about the changing oceanic communities. And this one specifically is the lithodid crab that is migrating into Antarctic waters. So now they're seeing less starfish, sea urchins, sea slugs in this ecosystem because the crabs are preying on them. So once you start breaking down this food web and start removing key pieces, it, it, it it's a recipe for disaster. It's just a total, total recipe for disaster. So we're going to keep, you know, our, our fingers to the pulse on what's going on down there at, you know, the Southern poles. And, and it's also happening in Arctic waters too. We know that. Um, but this one, if you've ever seen March of the Penguins, you think, you know, behavior, but you don't, right, Angie, you, you don't. Chris, their behavior is incredible and their physiology is incredible. And just to touch back on a little bit of the diving stuff, what I found really incredible is that you we mentioned that they dive from 400 to 450 meters in pursuit of prey. I can't, I, I can't even visualize how long that. Right, right. I think you they can go that deep, but generally I think they stay around 50 meters to hunt. But I think you're right that they, they can actually go a little bit deeper um, if they have to, right? Well, they can, and they go to areas where there's no light, and scientists have no idea how they can even catch this prey with no light. And so they're just really radical. I mean, we don't even know how they do all these really cool things that they do. And once again, too, when they are diving, they have all this physiological adaptations to account for low oxygens during deep dives. And Chris, the 
cool, cool thing about penguins when they do these deep dives is unlike other species of birds, they don't have hollow bones. Mm-hmm. In general, we haven't, we may or may not have covered it on another bird species. I can't remember, but most birds have hollow burn, bones to enable them with flight, right? Make them lighter so they can fly. Penguins don't. They have solid bones rather than air filled or hollow bones mm-hmm. to basically eliminate this risk of mechanical, what they call barotrauma, which is basically has to do with pressure. So pretty crazy. And then of course, when they dive, they can reduce their heart rate to 15 to 20 beats per minute and their non-essential organs like the reproductive tract, mm-hmm. digestive mm-hmm. things like that shut down. And, uh, and they have special adapt- adaptations to their hemoglobin and myoglobin at such low blood oxygen concentrations to help them not go unconscious. <laughs> so pretty crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Uh, they're, yeah, I just, uh, I just 50 think million years, know, Angie, just, they've, they've adapted for 50 million years. To I mean, they are stuff. like, they, they can do the cold and they can do the cold, deep, dark dives and they're still so darn cute doing everything that they do. Right. It's just incredible. Um, so yes, March of the Penguins. That's, it's an older movie, uh, mm-hmm. older, 2005. So <laughs> it's older for us. That's <laughs> older for us. Jeez, Seems like a century ago. Going? <laughs> I don't know, but phenomenal movie more, uh, narrated by the one and only Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. So if Love you him. haven't seen it, please see it. Uh, of course this new penguin movie is going to be awesome too, but yeah. And so it talks a lot about their behaviors, but just. In a nutshell, it's awesome. See these movies, learn more about penguins and their behavior. Emperor penguins are social. They forage and they nest together in groups on land in the Antarctic. They form huge, vast colonies, anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 animals. They're called rookeries, wattles, or I'm going to say this wrong, penguineries. Penguinaries. Okay. No, it's good. It's kind yeah, of fun. Yeah. Okay. If you will. That's good. Um, but yeah, they, and they, and they work together, of course, in the cold. So we talked about their internal physiology to help keep them warm, but they'll also huddle together in the harsh cold when they're on land and form like a circle. And they do this cool thing where youngest members will be in the middle where it's warmer. That makes sense. Chicks and juveniles and the adults will be in the outer portions of the circle and they'll slowly turn and rotate in and out somewhat like a radar image of a hurricane basically. And the adults take turns and who's in that outer ring. Mm-hmm. I would, if it were me, I'd work it. So I'm never in that outer <laughs> yeah. ring. I'd be like <laughs> circling back in towards the middle, but they, uh, and so, and it make, but the circling, I'm like, that seems goofy. But if we talk, if we think about, go back to their metabolism and how they keep warm, it's, by moving. And so they don't want to go running through the snow, obviously. So they, and they can't really, right? They waddle. So they just take little steps in a circle and try to keep that cold out. Um, but yeah, they're generally active day or night and they don't really maintain huge home ranges. And of course they migrate. The adults will travel through most of the year foraging in the ocean. And then of course they come onto the land and the shell, the ice, the fast ice shelves of the Antarctic to, uh, breed to, to, to breed. And so Chris, regarding their behavior, one of the many penguin holes, ha ha ha, get it, uh, that I went down this, uh, week 
that I want to continue to keep reading about and learning about is penguin communication. And you might think, huh? Why does she care about that? Because it's super fascinating. And stick with me for these next four minutes, and I promise you will think it's fascinating too. So emperor penguins use a complex set of vocalizations that are critical in order to recognize each other, whether it's their mate or, of course, parents and offspring. And it's still, you're probably still not with me, okay? Because you're like, okay, why does she care? But these vocalization sounds, they can sound like a squawking or a high-pitched bray. And I'll play a clip here because it's different than a lot of other penguins. The emperor is really unique with his vocalizations. You have, let's just picture it, Chris, 5,000. And we'll put some YouTube videos up. 5,000 moms or dads and this rookery, the chicks. And it sounds like go to a stadium right now. Go to a football stadium in your brain or a baseball stadium or a basketball stadium, a large stadium that holds five to 10,000. So maybe at a university or something like that. It's, Angie, it's insane. It's insane. I listen okay, to are the you, videos. Are you on board yeah. with me? Are I you- was listening to these videos and it is so loud. It is so loud. It's like an airport. So loud. It's like insane. Yes. The So they're chattering. They're making this squawking, this high-pitched braying sound. Okay. And I'll fill in all the blanks of the story about how the mom goes and the dad goes and what they do when we get to repro. But basically a mom and or a dad have to be able to find one another and or their chick in this cacophony. There's the word of the day. Of crazy noise. And they do this. They can narrow it down. Basically, emperor penguins, unlike other penguins, I think the kings do this too, but they're known for using two frequency band waves simultaneous. They have a two voice. And scientists have recognized with this two frequency bands, at least three types of calls. They have contact threats, sexuals, and these can be used for feeding, traveling, or mating. And that's how they can recognize each other. And it's super complex. And parents are able to, in this stadium of cacophony, crazy, <laughs> whatever noise, they can zero in on their own offspring's chirp. So, the, okay. I, don't, okay, I okay. couldn't do that. Back, you couldn't do that. This is, this is you a year ago. Back up the bus. All right. What am I, am I loud? Cacophony. Oh, I'm saying, is he saying I'm saying cacophony wrong? What am I saying? Cacophony? Cacophony. Thank you. What do I do that? Okay, okay, okay. Let me back it up. So, so, so your husband just uh, butted in and said, "You're saying cacophony wrong." <laughs> what did John say? <laughs> it's definitely it's... not how I was saying. It's what is it again, honey? <laughs> come back, come back. Cacophony, cacophony. There you go. Thank you, John. So it's late okay, here. Okay, it's like ten okay. thirty no, p.m. No, here. Who cares? Who cares? We're going to do this because this is well, this clearly, is important. Clearly, like I, I can't even pronounce words, so I couldn't find. No, my kids. no, no. Your poor kids. So because in the Disney movie, you know, and I wish Disney paid us to promote this, but there's a point where the Adelis find each other, right? The the mates, and so this is the science behind that. With how in the heck with twenty thousand breeding pairs. Do they come together? Because a lot of penguins mate for life or they mate for that season, but they still have to find mom and right. dad. Right. Emperors mate and for baby. just the season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you're saying they use different frequencies. Mm-hmm. Two bands. With a, with a specific call. 
And that's how you mm-hmm. recognize junior. Now imagine that you're in a stadium. We use sight, right? Like a memory. I remember I sat in section A, seat 24 and 25, whatever. That's not what this is. This is just a bunch of t- tuxedos with little babies, cute babies. And you've got, you can't recognize anybody different, but you have to listen. Listen, folks, listen to this. This is insane physiology, animal behavior. You have to listen and to go, okay. You know, I remember, it's funny, just, I remember one time when I was a freshman in college, and this is going way back, um, last century. And I remember I was checking into my dorm. Literally. And I'm like, dad, mom, I literally had 20 people turn around and look at me like, cause they thought I was calling them. All the other parents were like, Oh my, my son needs me. <laughs> so, and then they saw me and they're like, Oh no, that's not my kid. You know? So anyway, that's that crazy. Just, that's crazy. Angie. It's that's crazy. great. It's, it's, it's incredible. And so they have their, their basically this two band frequency and then they can modify it with different like, structures and pulses and, and, and beats basically. So there's some researchers starting to understand it. It's crazy cool. Uh, and then I also got a kick out of the fact that chicks, they use a frequency modulated whistle. So a a whistle like sound to beg for food uh, with their parents. And it just made me giggle because I'm like, that, I wish mine whistled at me. Mine do not whistle. They whine and I'm hungry. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And so, yeah. So, but maybe it's like that to a penguin parent. They're like, Sonny, darn it. I just fed you some fish. And we'll talk about that behavior, how they regurgitate their food for the kids in a minute. But so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just their vocalizations incredible in here. If you'll bear with me, I will play some of the chirping and braying because it is definitely unique compared to the other penguins or probably what you'll see in the Disney movie. Seriously, that is, I'm blown away. Like I didn't even, this is why, again, why I love doing this podcast. So that you can hear the, the pitching, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to listen to the two frequencies, but here you have a penguin going at a blistering one and a half miles per hour, trying to make their way. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, slapping other ones out of the way, other little navigating around little babies and trying to listen for the specific call. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Nature is awesome. It is so awesome. This is why we fight folks. This is why we need to come together because just that fact alone, I'm blown away. I'm blown away. I'm sorry. You blew me away today. That oh, was the, thank the you. best yeah. fact. We can send I... the show right now. <laughs> what? Okay, no, we'll no, no. We, ha- we love you. Chris, it's almost Father's Day down the corner. We got it. We got to talk know, about the amazing know, role of the uh, the emperor uh, penguin, the father, the male yes, role. Dads, yes. Dads. dads yes. So yes. That's all I wrote on my slide. Awesome. That's pretty much all you need. Um, (laughs) But I want to touch really quick before we move into uh, reproductive behavior, because it's a lot of fun and we're going to have some giggles. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast about are penguins smart or not smart? Okay. Hold on. Let me find my text from my dear friend, Andy. Hold on. 
Well, we all have seen the movie Madagascar. They're brilliant. You know, they've reverse engineered the plane. They're flying all over the boat. <laughs> That's my favorite part of that movie. Yeah. So I, I texted my, my buddy Andy, Penguin Extraordinaire. He'd rather be known as Parrot Extraordinaire, but we haven't done parrots yet. That's on the bucket list soon. So I just asked him his thoughts about working with penguins. Are they, you know, intelligent. And he was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. They're very smart. Uh, he says he thinks they have the highest personality of all birds. And that's coming from someone who mm. loves his citizens and is still saying that penguins have this just a lot of personality. He says that they are notorious for choosing people they like and dislike. And they're really aggressive to the people they don't like. And they'll actually do an awesome courtship display or flipper behavior to the people they do like. He, of course, unfortunately <laughs> was on the, <laughs> poor Andy, he was on the dislike category. So I said, well, what is it? Tell me about an aggressive penguin behavior. And he said, they bite and hold and then slap with their f- flippers. Not too fun to be on the receiving end of, <laughs> quote unquote, from Andy. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. I appreciate all your input. Uh, he also says that they have a salt gland that lets them excrete excess salt from the ocean water and fish. And they shake their heads out and fling the salt everywhere. So I guess keepers oh, would know yeah. that and some inside scoop. Yeah. So they, thanks for sticking with us for this, this whole time. I, I promised it would be worth it, but yes, to answer the question, penguins are super intelligent, super intelligent bird. Um, you know, probably up there. I don't know if they've done a tit for tat study with citizens and crows and ravens and stuff. Maybe not quite that, but they've been known to use tools. They, uh, have passed the mirror test. They recognize themselves in the mirror. My goodness gracious, we just talked about their communication and how complex it was. Mm-hmm. So I want, that's like, I'm not doing them justice. And I apologize to all the penguins and penguin keepers out there that know that they have these huge personalities. Well, we know that. Let's look at them. We know they have personalities, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. but their intelligence is, is probably still a lot to be discovered. I would imagine at this rate. So that's why we definitely need to save them as well. Just figure out just. They probably know all the That's secrets. Right they definitely know the secrets to Antarctica, right? So we got to keep mm-hmm, them around to figure mm-hmm. out the secrets of the world. It's funny you say that, Angie, because the National Aquarium of New Zealand always lists the naughty penguin of the month <laughs> and the good penguin of the month. And it is <laughs> the funny. funniest thing ever, 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 ever. So you just, just Google naughty penguin of the month and you will crack up. It is so great. Oh, it is so great. hopefully Andy's listening. I'm sure he is. Uh, but I'll just yeah. tell him about that. I'm sure he, <laughs> I bet he can relate. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So we've seen March of the Penguins. It's again, a great movie that really talks about the breeding, the breeding colony, things like that. Mm-hmm. Dads of the year up there. Sea dragons are still the best, one of the best, but cassowary takes, takes it to a new level. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Rob Lang, underdone comics that took it to a new level with the cassowary. Best dads on earth, but penguins are damn dedicated, aren't they? I mean, they are dedicated fathers. They are. And so it's just, well, I think mom and dad's. Dad's probably, both. Both. they both, yeah. well, we're going to describe their roles and you as a listener can vote. Who do you think is more a dedicated parent, a mom penguin or a dad penguin? So I, I will share with you the facts. Um, basically once April, uh, once April hits, these penguins start this march to their breeding grounds and it can be anywhere from 50 kilometers, sometimes up to 150 across the Antarctic, Antarctica environments, cold, okay. snow, okay. wind, think about all it. that. 150. 
150 kilometers at two and a half kilometers an hour. With the so wind. That, how long is that taking? Chill. A few days. Yes. Yes. Okay. okay. So they do all that. There you and go. it's just, and basically males will typically arrive ahead of females so they can ready themselves for their, uh, their courtship displays. And I think as I mentioned earlier, they are monogamous for the year. So they'll switch mate pairs from year to year, but during the breeding season, it's just mom and dad form a team. And one study found that uh, about 14 to 15% of pairs one year were actually reformed the next year. And then, but then the number dropped down to less than 5% in the third year. So more or less monogamous from year to year. And what's also interesting with emperor penguins, Chris, is there's an unequal sex ratio. So there's a lot more females to males at one site. And so it's, oh, wow. it's 30, about 40% males and 60% females. And so this, and this unequal sex ratio leads to really intense competitions for mates among the females. So that's a <laughs> whole different <laughs> podcast for a different day that we're not going to yes. go there. Uh, but, but the males, oh, those poor boys, I, you know, right? It's hard to be a male <laughs> penguin, right? Jeez. Um, so. <laughs> So to woo the ladies, though, since they have a surplus of them, what they'll do is a male will push his bill to his chest and inhale and then give a call that lasts a couple seconds. And they, re- they repeat these different syllables and silent periods. And the calls are actually performed by both sexes. And they're highly variable among individuals uh, because it's important then later on, once they do pair up, for them to be able to recognize each other, these different calls. And so basically once a couple's paired up, he likes her, she likes him, they'll stand and extend their necks upward, staring at each other for several minutes. Oh, I remember mm-hmm. when I did that with John mm-hmm. and we knew, we knew, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> and so once this ceremony is complete, they'll, as a couple, they'll waddle, they'll waddle around the colony together. And so John and I have done some waddling together as well. So, uh, but one of my favorite little tidbits I found, uh, was that once they pair up and they, before they breed or copulate, they actually both turn and bow deeply to each other. So I thought that that was a kind of a cute little, a little precursor, a little, um, foreplay or bedroom talk or something. I, I just thought that was yeah, very, yeah, that yeah, was yeah, an yeah. interesting, yeah. an interesting behavior that I, I, I definitely didn't know about. And so they breed and the female will lay a single egg. Okay. And it's large, about 460 to 470 grams. She lays this egg and basically passes it off to the male and heads high tail for the ocean. Here you go, dad. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. I know, I know, but you know, again, with birds, it's not to. She's not the cassowary. You know, the cassowary's done. She's like, see ya, right? And and uh, and I'm out. It's it takes a lot of resources to make that egg. It you know, you you had two babies in your belly for nine months. It sucked the life out of you. Yes, I ate. That a, egg sucks the life out of her. I ate a lot of froyo with Xander and a lot of falafel yeah. with Zachary. So yes, yes, but <laughs> think about it. She. They're in the most harsh climate. So, you know, it's like, cause it, it's one thing. It's just interesting. Again, this is, I think why this bird, this species is so amazing and why we love them so much. But think about it, Angie. Okay. As you tell the story, cause you're going to keep telling the story and keep the listeners hooked to the story. 
think about it from a physiological point of view, the most harsh environment on earth. She comes, lays this egg that has taken an incredible toll on her. She has to walk 150 kilometers to get there, lay this big egg, and she's depleted. She can't live, stay there or she'll die. Right? Okay. Continue the story because I'm with you. <laughs> I like it. I'm hooked. Hooked. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so yeah, she passes basically this egg off to the penguin, her, 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 her mate that season, the penguin dad, and he incubates the egg on top of his dinosaur feet. Mm-hmm. So it's not on the cold snow. It's keeping it warm. And then of course his feathery bottom plumage also will cover it, protect it from wind chill. And he does this and he stands there. He probably moves a little bit, I'm sure, to keep warm. And he'll incubate this egg for about 64 days. So close to two months. He stands there like a trooper, not eating, not drinking, staying, keeping as warm as possible, protecting that egg. No Netflix. There's no Game Boys, <laughs> Xbox. There's just nothing but snow no food? and ice. And, and a bunch of jerky guys going, leave me alone. Yes. I'm incubating my egg. You know, think about it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Two months. So now then this magical thing happens that the egg laying and the egg hatching is highly synchronous in colonies. So my side note was like, how does that happen? I, I never got there. I didn't have time. You made me do this podcast today. I didn't have time to know <laughs> how good. it's all synchronized. And how, But anyways, it's crazy. And so when the eggs begin to hatch, the female who has been out to the sea, diving, eating, regaining her strength and nutrients, she will come back to take over some of the brooding and feeding of the hatchling. Because this dad of the year, maybe not of the year because we talk about the seahorse and the cassowary and stuff, but he's up there. there. Um, At this point, he has been without food. He's been fasting for about 115 days. Mm -hmm. So I know you're a great dad. John's a fabulous dad. You guys. I would die. You guys, I, I would say, have been dead. You guys help big time with early newborn parental care. I remember the bags under yes. your eyes. You remember the bags under John's eyes. I wore, I wore my babies. Yeah. I wore um, but yeah. you're not fasting for 15 days. I'm, I'm sorry. No, 100, 115 days. Think of that. Yes. I couldn't even fast 15 days. No, I couldn't even fast 15 I can't, hours. I, I can't even. even yeah. <laughs> No way. I can't even fast five hours. <laughs> or 15 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, wow. And so, uh, ah, crazy. And so basically the males and females then alternate the brooding or raising responsibilities where they basically do this long trek back to the, uh, op- open ocean or open sea. And they go back and forth for about 45 days after hatching to take turns feeding, uh, feeding the chick. And yeah, because mom has to replenish. She replenishes over that time, comes back, feeds the chick. Dad's now wasted. Mm -hmm. He can't stay there. Mm -hmm. So then he goes back to the ocean, but then he doesn't say, Oh, I'm done. Nope. You know, think about quote unquote bird brain. He's like, Oh no, I got to come back or, you know, my baby's dead. Exactly. It's behavior. Like you think about it and you start thinking about how. Well, and Chris, it's really, I, I, we won't go there. Me and you, we'll have our own coffee date over the internet. But one of my uh, postdoc things, I'm I'm learning the neurophysiology and the neuroplasticity of behavior. And it's just, it just, 
well, just opens up a bazillion more questions for me. So, but yes, you're right. They know to do this. And then of course they have to trek that long distance from the open sea back to their family, find their family in this cacophony. Is that right? Yes. Cacophony of noise. There's this crazy (laughs) penguin um, stadium of noise, find their, find their family, their, their mate and their, and their chick. And then they regurgitate food for their young, of course. And the chicks that are the, maybe that's why they're so darn cute. So the parents keep coming back, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. Mean, and then their teenagers are like, get out of here, kid. Yeah. Right. Right. Because I take a look at my little boys and I'm like, wow, you are frustrating me, but you're so cute. So I keep coming back for more. Right. So maybe it's <laughs> yeah, something like that feel, because yeah. boy, those emperor penguins are just, please, please, please. When you're, if you're not driving, just look at a picture of them and you will agree. But yes. And so because of this, the chicks typically do pretty well and, uh, and grow quickly. And basically as the summer comes to an end, the young emperor penguins will then form what they call, I'm sure I can't pronounce this word, crashes, crashs. Yeah, crush, yeah, crush, yeah, crush, yeah. Of chicks and hang out, hang out together. At, uh, at this point, their parents, at this time when they form these crush of other chicks, their parents then have left them, abandoned them, if you will. Um, and, and they need to molt before heading out to the open ocean themselves. And so with, in general, the emperor penguins, they make their first return to the nesting colony at about four years old. Uh, but they usually don't breed until they're five or six and typically five in females. So it's, it's definitely, um, a slower, uh, generation span than a lot of other birds that breed every year and things like that. Um, so they, they have, and it, obviously because of the skill set and maturity and fattening up and all that, it makes sense that they probably be a little bit older when they breed. Well, with that longer generation interval, I mean, right now IUCN has, Emperor penguins is near threatened and, and the estimates, the IUCN doesn't have a good number on them, but the estimates I saw are about 600,000, but it's really not known. And if the numbers are, are, de- the numbers are decreasing, I will say, you know, one of the interviews that was really interesting to me that we did way back when was blue whales with Dr. Kim Getz. I love that New one. Zealand. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I know. So she was great. Such a great interview. So and good. she was talking about exploitation of the Southern oceans. It's a big problem. You know, so there are a lot of threats. It's not just climate change, but human exploitation, gas and oil, among others, now creeping into the Antarctica waters. So that's not good. Of the 18 rough 17 to 20 species of penguin, half are listed as vulnerable or endangered by the IUCN. The African penguin is endangered with 50,000 left. The northern rockhopper is endangered, but there's 480,000. So I don't know the the pressures that they're they're facing right off the top of my head. The two that caught my eye was the yellow-eyed penguin is endangered with 3,400 left, and the Galapagos penguin. It's the only penguin that can go into the northern hemisphere. There's only about 1,200 of them left. So you know the penguins throughout the world are are really really suffering. And I know this is a long one, folks. It's just oh, so fun. Penguins are so fun. Yeah. So just stick with us. You know, we're, I'm going to get to conservation tips here in a second. Angie's going to go through an organization to support, and then we'll wrap this up. Yes. So the organization of the week that I selected is called the Global Penguin Society, or GPS, right? Everybody can remember that. And 
Their mission is to be the International Penguin Society that's dedicated to the survival and protection of all the world's species of, of penguins. And they also want to foster integrated ocean conservation because, once again, the penguin tells us all about ocean health. And GPS also, when they're not basically protecting the world's penguins or the oceans, they are doing management and uh, community education to help educate people about why they should care about penguins and protect their habitat and save them. And the really cool thing about Global Penguin Society or GPS is that they work with a lot of penguin researchers and conservationists worldwide to how to inf- implement conservation in all these species of penguins and also advocate for solutions for sustainable, healthy activities for the ocean because our ocean activities aren't going anywhere. Let's be realistic. But how do we make them sustainable? And it's really exciting too because we talked about Disney in this podcast a little bit, but exciting news is that Disney actually partnered with the Global Penguin Society to scale up this movie and they, for every ticket that's sold, so the ticket that you bought, the ticket I'm going to buy me and the boys this weekend, um, a donation goes to the Global Ping- Penguin Society that's used to protect penguins across the Southern Hemisphere. So awesome. kudos awesome. to Disney using your name. Um, you can add, so in your, on the Instagram, it's hashtag Disney Nature Penguin to learn more about obviously the movie and or Global Penguin Society. And Global Penguin Society, you can find more about them on Facebook, Instagram. Their website is the, uh, wildnet.org slash wildlife program slash penguins. But if you just Google, Google Global Penguin Society, you'll, they'll pop up and they have a beautiful website and it'll show you what projects they're doing and education stuff they're doing. And these, these guys have won a ton of, uh, nature and conservation awards, Pew Fellowship in Marine Conservation, the Whitley Award. So they're the real deal and they're helping save all species of penguins. And so check them out. And even if you, once again, like if you can't donate, just go see this penguin movie. And then some of the proceeds are actually going to help penguins in the wild. And so I'm very, I'm very happy that Disney did that. And I want us as a group of conservation minded heroes to on our own, check out the global penguin society, like them on Facebook, your Facebook feed will thank you. You'll thank me in the morning when you're scrolling and with your coffee and you're like, Oh, look at that cute emperor penguin baby. Angie was right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they are cute. They're really cute. They're really cute. And just to kind of wrap this up, conservation tip this week. I, I've said this in the past and I really want to highlight it here since we kind of did talk about climate change and, and, you know, we went off a little bit of a tangent because climate change can be a whole different hour. I think we should. We're, Angie and I are going to target a climate change expert and try to get them on the podcast because we really need to understand what's going on out there and, and deal in facts. But I think we all need to reduce our carbon footprint. That is what we should globally do every day. Try to do that. I mean, I remember yesterday I refused a straw. I was like, no, thank you. I don't need one. You know, things like that. But you can do a free assessment. I've, I've talked about it in the past. I'll put it up again. You can do a calculator, kind of estimate where you are, how much carbon you're contributing, and think about how you can reduce that. One way you can do that tomorrow is plant trees. 
native to your area in the world because we have listeners all over the world. Well, whispering on live You're going to do it because this is my tip. This is my tip. Yes, go. uh, For Father's Day, especially talking about the penguin being such a good father, I'm whispering because my husband's in the other room sleeping because it's really late here. But yes, um, the boys and I were trying to decide what type of tree because we're here in Florida. Yes. So we want to do either like we have an orange tree, but we're deciding if we should do lime, avocado, or grapefruit. Um, or I kind of want a magnolia, which is not a citrus. So yes, that's his surprise. So okay. you guys yes. don't yes. anybody Good. tell him. That is, <laughs> yes, that is my, that is my tip. Give a gift of a tree for mother's day coming up, father's day, birthdays, anything. I'm going to give myself one for came... mother's day as well. <laughs> so yeah. I'm getting two. Yes, yes. Just do all of them. Do all of them. So, but yeah, I, the reason I say that is because a report just came out that, Scientists, some scientists believe if we planted one trillion trees, we could stem global warming. I saw this on my buddy, my wannabe buddy, Leonardo DiCaprio's uh, foundation. Like, uh, like them if you haven't his his foundation Facebook group, and I read it, and I was like, oh, Leo, I love my husband, I know, I know. but I like you <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, I just kind of quickly looked. There's there's an estimated three trillion trees globally, or 422 per person. But we're losing 15 billion trees per year because of human activity. So we need to, we need to plant at least 15 billion to stem that. And we need another trillion on top of that to stem global warming. But if we do our part, all of us, this is what you can do tomorrow or Angie's going to be doing next month. And I'm going to be doing next week for Mother's Day. Don't tell my mom, but we'll be planting. Wait, trees. she's our main listener. Okay. She's our only Patreon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Between my mom and your mom. All right. So please, again, thank you for sticking with us. Visit us on Patreon. Share this episode. Share this knowledge. This is the line in the sand. I'm going to push it each week. We have to act now, today. Absolutely. Tomorrow, not next week, today. So thank you. We love you. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Check out Global Penguin Society and the Disney movie Penguins. And thank you for listening. Fun episode. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.